If you have your Bibles, could you take them and turn to Matthew chapter 6? I'm going to ask uh, Deborah to come and read for us this morning. She'll begin reading in verse 25, Matthew chapter 6 and verse 25. Let me get you a microphone. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to your hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the fields, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon, in all his glory, was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Thank you, Deborah. I appreciate it. If you've been with us during our study of the Sermon on the Mount, you realize that Jesus has been teaching things that basically reorient us. They turn our world upside down. They give us a very, very different perspective than we might naturally have. So we've been walking through the Sermon on the Mount and really looking at what it means to follow him, but also what it means to really thrive spiritually. Because I, I, that, that is what Jesus wants. And we've looked at kind of what that means for our personal devotions, practicing our righteousness before the Lord in Matthew 6. And, and then we've moved on to another question Really, last week we began to explore this, and that is how, how does our devotion to Jesus work itself out in a world that is filled with all kinds of opportunities and all kinds of dangers, all kinds of pleasures and all kinds of threats? How does our walk with the Lord work itself out in that kind of world? And to make sure we grasp exactly how he wants us to live, what Jesus does Several times in this portion of the Sermon on the Mount is he tells us, don't. He gives us several don'ts. So we looked at one of those last week. We looked at what he said about treasure, and he said, don't lay up treasures on earth, but lay up treasure in heaven. And I don't know the whole audience of who he was looking at when he first taught that, that, that sermon, the first gave that command. Maybe he was looking at people that were very, very wealthy and were just acquiring more and more stuff. And he says, don't lay up treasures on this earth. Or maybe, and I think even more likely, he was looking at people that were either middle class or, or maybe even somewhat living day to day, not so well off. And maybe they thought, if I just have a little bit more, then everything will be okay. If I could just get a little bit more. And he says, don't, don't lay up treasures on earth. Lay up treasures in heaven. 
But today we're moving on and reminding ourselves of another don't that Jesus gave us. And it's right there at the beginning of verse 25. I, I hope you still have your Bibles open. It says this, don't be anxious. Don't be anxious. And that's a really challenging word because our world is absolutely filled with anxiety and fear and worry and stress. And clearly, despite all the technology we have, despite all the education, despite all the wealth that even uh, our our world, certainly our Western world has accumulated, it does not seem like we are doing any better at handling worry and stress and anxiety and fear. If anything, and you might read some sociology, if you read anything about the generations, the, the current generation that is in high school and going into college, what sociologists and psychologists tell us is never has a generation worried more. Never has a generation been more filled with anxiety and fear. These issues are seeming to escalate. We're not getting any better at at managing it. And it's ironic, but even today, if we're not careful, I'm going to talk a good bit about worry. And it's possible for us to worry about worrying too much. And you might be in that category. The Lord gives you a simple command. The Lord gives all of us a simple command. Don't be anxious. And of course, we would never mean any disrespect, not to the Bible, not to the Lord, but we might be tempted, if we're just gut level honest, we might be tempted to protest that command a little bit because Jesus has said, don't be anxious. And you might feel in your heart saying, well, frankly, it's just not that simple. You know, I can't can't tell you the number of people that I talk to even in a given week that communicate to me even some level of anxiety or stress or fear. We are anxious people. And to just say, don't be anxious, doesn't seem to do justice to all sorts of complications that come up in our anxiety. Sometimes we are anxious about silly stuff. We're anxious about maybe we we show up late for this, or did I turn off all the lights, or did I make sure my zipper was up? And now you're anxious about that. You're thinking about it. You can't help it, right? I mean, there's, there's silly stuff. What, what does this complete stranger think of me who I never will see again? Did I make the right decision shopping here and there? Did, what does Jesus say? Jesus says, don't be anxious. But then there's more short-term things that you can't seem to shake. So this is certainly kind of either coming right off of or entering into a exam season. And so there's maybe an increased anxiety about that maybe on the part of students, maybe on the part of parents as well. Maybe you're meeting with someone and you know even this week you've already got it circled on the calendar. This is a meeting where the stakes are high. And the meeting really needs to go a certain way. And if it doesn't, the future is impacted by that. Or maybe it's how a day is going to go. Or maybe you're late for an appointment, you're stuck in traffic. There's all sorts of things that may give us that short-term anxiety. And Jesus says, don't be anxious. And then there are those things that actually get serious, serious stuff that alarm, alarms us because we live in a tough world. And so I'll tell you what, if our physical safety is in jeopardy, it is very, very natural for us to be afraid. If we get a report and the doctor says, I need you to come back into the office, we've got some more, more tests we need to run or we need to talk through some things, our stress level, our anxiety goes up. 
If the future of your family is uncertain, if your marriage is blowing up or something with your kids is it's not going okay, our, our anxiety begins to increase. The threat of losing a job, the threat of not finding a job. Or, or if we just say internationally, can you imagine? I, I can't imagine what it would be like to be a parent and a, a refugee at the same time where you know you've got these kids to take care of and maybe because of some sort of awful part, uh, uh, that awful difficulty in your part of the world, you are on the run. Or maybe there's a, a continent-wide famine and you're wondering how you're going to get food. Or maybe you're a Christian living in a hostile area and, and you, you never really know if, if you're going to make it through the day. And Jesus says, don't be anxious. And there's, there's a host of things. And there are these emergency situations like happened in uh, mid-January in Hawaii where they got this uh, alarm, a ballistic missile, missile threat is inbound. And this is what it said, seek immediate shelter. This is not a drill. And of course, we know it's a false alarm, but they didn't know that for several minutes. Or you can imagine being on flight uh, 1380 on April 17th, Southwest flight 1380, where it goes from like complete calm to complete chaos and terror. And yet we have the words of Jesus here that says, don't be anxious. So I'm not trying to give you things to worry about. I'm not trying to go into worst case scenario mode. I just want us to recognize we do live in a world that fear is easily produced. We live in a world that just one little thing can trigger overwhelming, crippling anxieties. That is the world we live in. So that your church family, there's many in our church family that are no stranger to panic attacks or, or just that crippling fear where you, ju- you don't know what to do next, or, or maybe you've experienced suicidal thoughts, and it, and it scared you and scared those around you. And I'd say, oh, please, please, please reach out for help as you go through that, as you walk through that. I just want us to realize how significant fear can be, and the chemicals in some of our bodies and the chemistry in our brain, sometimes it it misfires. And in moments, we might find ourselves flooded with worry. The person that says, I never worry about anything. All it takes is is one little complication and your life of not worrying has changed to a life perhaps filled with worry. We might find ourselves, our, our bodies, our temperament, our family history, our present circumstance flowing into, and we hear Jesus' command, don't be anxious. And while we would never want to say anything against Jesus, does that command, don't be anxious, does that seem a little bit heartless at worst and unrealistic at best? Does it seem perhaps like Jesus has oversimplified something? You ask yourself, how can it be that simple? How can Jesus treat it like it's that simple? And so the short answer to that question, how can he treat it like it's that simple? He doesn't. He doesn't treat it that way. Jesus never oversimplifies anything, ever. And you don't have to take my word for it. There are clues in this passage that Deb read just a moment ago. Clues from this passage that tell us Jesus realizes just how difficult this is going to be for his followers to live in this world and not to worry. 
I say that because in this passage, so if you still got it open, you can look at verse 25 and verse 31 and verse 34, and he repeats the same command. He says three times in 10 verses, don't be anxious. And because he knows we are going to be tempted to be anxious, he's going to tell us again, don't be anxious. And he's going to tell us a third time in verse 34, don't be anxious. We need to hear those words again and again. It's not like we heard them once and okay, we've got it. So this is not some sort of dismissive Jesus kind of saying, get a handle on yourself. Don't be anxious. I've told you once, I'm not telling you again. It's Jesus reminding us again and again, we need to hear this. And did you also notice how Jesus takes time to give illustrations and examples? So Jesus will tell us, look at, look at the birds. And Jesus will say, go out into a field of wildflowers growing and take a look at those. Jesus is piling on now illustrations to help us because he knows in our heart we need to see something. We need help in this regard. He's not just saying, oh yeah, it's a real simple thing here. Did you notice how he gives rationale and walks us through how we ought to be thinking, how our mind ought to be different? Did you notice he asks questions? I think I counted five in these 10 verses. Jesus never asked questions because he didn't have the right information, right? Jesus is asking questions because we need to hear those. We need to ask ourselves these questions. He never treats, this is so encouraging to me, he never treats anxiety, fear, and stress as if like, yeah, real Christians, real followers of me, they never struggle with that stuff. But for those of you that, uh, he never treats it that way. And this should come as great relief to us. It's no less convicting to me that Jesus tells me not to worry but it is a breath of fresh air to realize he knows how difficult this will be. And we have a Savior that cares for us and a Savior that knows us. And Jesus, when he talks about worry, he does so in a very personal way. Because worries are complicated. And what Jesus doesn't say is magic wands for all my disciples. I can just wave those and no fear. Quick fixes for all my disciples. And now they will never have another problem with worry again. Secret formula for all my disciples. And they can live the next, next 50 years with no fear. That's not what he does. What Jesus does is not just kind of email you a command from the executive suite and say, do it, because I said so. Jesus gets in the trenches with us. The person that walked in this room who's battled fear maybe all week long, all month long, all life long, he gets in the trenches with us. And regardless of what brings you to anxiety, whether it's genetics or a disaster, whether it's circumstances, whether it's people, Jesus and his word will always be relevant. Whether you need this today, whether you need it in a week or a month or in a year, this, this will be important and Jesus is with you. And I'd like for us to think of it in, in these kind of terms today. Real simple terms. I'd like for you to think of Jesus giving you in these verses a spiritual survival kit when it comes to worry. Something you can take with you to help you survive and go to battle with and go to war with. So if someone was playing football, you would expect them to be outfitted with a, with a helmet, with a mouth guard, and with shoulder pads, and with leg pads and cleats, you would expect that. If someone's going off into, into battle, 
In our military, you expect the government to provide them the equipment they need. And when Jesus sends his followers into a world that's hostile and in a world that's difficult, in a world where stress can pile up really, really quickly and overwhelm us in an instant, Jesus didn't send us into this world ill-equipped. He, he gave us a source of ongoing help. So I want you to hear these verses, and I hope this message means something to you. But I actually hope in the, in the upcoming days and weeks and months, these verses are places where you know that's where my survival kit is. I can go back to this again and again. So when it comes to dealing with our anxiety, when it comes to going to battle with it, the first thing I see Jesus giving us is logic to help us. It's just interesting, this passage. Jesus gives us logic. And some of the logic that we read in verses 25 to 34 really makes sense whether you even buy into Christianity or not. I know not everybody in the room is a professing Christian. I know not everybody's convinced, but there are things that Jesus would say to you that actually will help you process worry and fear, whether you even claim him as your Savior, as your Lord or not. What do I mean? Well, look at verse 25. Look at verse 25. Jesus asked this question at the very end of it. He says, is not life more than food and the body more than clothing. What is Jesus saying? We know this, but sometimes we have a hard time getting this. And that is there is more to life than eating and drinking and clothing. There's more to life than this. He, he might be saying this to people who are barely making it, who are wondering where their next meal comes from. But he's also saying that to us who live, especially in the West here, relative, relative luxurious lives. He's telling us, he's reminding us of the insignificance of what we wear. And we know this, everybody knows this. Everybody knows that you aren't the next meal you eat. You're not the sum total of what's in your refrigerator. You're not the sum total of what, what's in your closet. Those clothes don't define who you are. You know this, we all know this. But sometimes we get so, so worked up about one particular thing and sometimes we have to take a step back and go, wait a minute, life, this isn't all there is to life. This matters, it's important, it's a concern, but this isn't, this isn't life. And that's what Jesus calls us to in a world that actually is telling us. Let I me mean, just notice how many billboards, online ads, commercials you see that are telling you, no, life pretty much is about the next season's style and what food you haven't tried or what organic food you should be eating. Life's pretty much all about that. And Jesus says, you know better. Logic would tell you something different. Jesus also tells us in verse 27, which of you by worrying can add any amount of time to your life? I mean, you don't have to be a Christian to understand or even particularly religious to ask another question like, well, will worry actually change this? And the answer more often than not is that it cannot and will not change things. We could do a little experiment we could say, all right, we would like to live a long time, so let's all worry about that. Let's, can, we, can we do that for the next 15 seconds, maybe? Let's just worry really hard about it. And we realize, I mean, Jesus is taking us down to a, a logical, like, that's not going to change anything. Okay, something you don't like about your physical appearance, we'll worry really hard about it for the next few minutes and see what happens. And Jesus says, nothing's going to happen doesn't work like this. And notice how Jesus, even in verse 34, closes the passage. He, he says, you don't need to worry about tomorrow because tomorrow is going to have its own issues. 
there's today's issues, and there are issues you think are coming up tomorrow, and they may really happen, or they may not, but there, there may be some other things that you really don't know what tomorrow holds. Tomorrow will have its own issues. If I'm, if I'm going to be anxious, often it's about the future. But worrying today doesn't make tomorrow any easier. I need to take this survival kit, pull these things out, pull out even the logic and say, okay, when my heart's tempted, to, like, when, when my blood pressure spikes or when I'm just tempted to go, oh, I'm not sure how that will go, I need to be reminded of logic. But I am grateful that Jesus gives us more than just logic to think through. Actually, another thing that our Lord gives us in the spiritual survival kit is a relationship. He reminds us of a relationship. So Jesus doesn't just travel kind of in the plane of, yeah, logically it makes no sense. What Jesus also tells us is that we have a father and we are in a family. We have a relationship. Already in chapter 6, we've been giving, given a family prayer. Pray like this. Our Father, who is in heaven. We're part of a family. We have a relationship. Verse 26, Jesus would say, why don't we look up at the birds in the air? And they don't sow, reap, or gather in barns. Yet your, your heavenly Father feeds them. You're more valuable than they are. He's created a whole system where they are getting their needs met. He cares for you. As a father, you're part of the family, Jesus is saying. You have a relationship that can secure you even when you are incredibly fearful. He says in verse 30, if God is clothing the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, he's going to clothe you. You've got a family. You're part of a family. You have a father. He says in verse 31 and verse 32, we don't have to be anxious, kind of getting ourselves all worked up. What are we going to eat? What are we going to drink? What are we going to wear? He says, the Gentiles, the pagans do that. They seek after all these things, but your heavenly father, verse 32, your heavenly father knows that you need them all. And one of the things crucial for our spiritual survival is remembering that Jesus has indeed brought us into God's family. He's adopted us. We aren't outsiders, but we are his true children, rightfully at his table, enjoying the privileges of a family relationship. If you're fairly new to even the concept of Christianity, it would be easy to think, oh, well, what Christianity is all about is like being a better person doing a little bit better, trying to be good. But actually, this is a reminder that the whole story of the Bible is that God created us always, always with the intention of us having a family relationship with him. That was always his intent for human beings. And that relationship, of course, it didn't take very long for that relationship to be ruptured, and for us to sin and rebel and everything to be ruined in that relationship. But God still, in his love and his mercy, initiated a rescue plan to restore a relationship, to bring us back to him. He sent Jesus Christ in love to live on this earth with us, to live the life we should have lived, to go to the cross and to take on himself, on the cross, take on our sins that we're separating us and the Father. 
so that we might be brought back in relationship with him. He paid for that sin. And in his resurrection, he brings life and victory to all people who will turn from everything else and believe that Jesus is Lord. When I look at a group this size, I just can't help but wonder, does everyone here, do you know you have a Savior that has gone to pursue you in that way? Do you know that? Do you know that you have a Father that is ready to restore the relationship with you? Do you know that? Have you experienced that? How, how desperately I would love for everybody that ever came to Ogletown to know that. I would want you to know that. I would want you to enjoy what it means to know that you have a relationship that can secure you even as you enter into all sorts of stressful things and things that might cause you to worry. I would pray you might embrace that message of restoration into a family. And if you haven't, I would say, why not talk to someone about that today? Why, why not pursue that further? Why, why let another day, being an outsider to God's family, why, why would you do that? Hear the Lord calling you back. Remembering that family relationship can change so many things about our perspective because we need regular reminders that our Father really does care about us. I was, kind of, I was thinking of an analogy. Imagine that you work at a school. Maybe you're a teacher or you work, you work with students where there are quite a few kids from a tough background. And you talk to a kid because she's not doing really well in school and she's doing poorly on tests. She's missing assignments. And as you talk to her, as you talk to her, you realize that She's worried, and she expressed, like, I'm worried about what I'm going to eat, if I'm going to have enough to eat. Worried about what I'm going to wear. I'm worried if I'm even going to be here next year. And your heart's broken, and because you're a good teacher, because you care deeply about this person, you want to know, like, what's going on in their life? So maybe if you just went to that kid's house and saw what, what's going on, maybe, maybe there's a state program, or maybe there's a nonprofit, or maybe, maybe even a church could help. Maybe you could help. So you, you try to try to explore deeper into this person that just feels so, so filled with anxiety and stress and worry, this little life. And as you go, immediately some things don't register. As you go up to the house, you, you end up meeting a dad and a mom that are super friendly and super involved in their kids' lives. And now they're not overly wealthy, but they, they're providing, they're able to, to provide for their, their kids. And and, and you can ask, like, what's going on? Is dad invested? He is invested. Is mom invested? She is invested. They're engaged in this situation, and they're providing this kid with everything they need to succeed. It's a nurturing environment. It's filled with love. And you've been around the block. You've seen things. Maybe there's something else you're not factoring in. But you'd say, this kid, this kid has more support than lots of others have. You even meet her siblings and her siblings aren't, aren't perfect, but they're, they love their sister. And you begin to look through new eyes. And as you sat down the next time with that, that child that's so filled with anxiety and worry, I think you might tell them, listen, listen, you don't, you don't have to be anxious. You're not living in the real world here. You have a dad and you have a mom and you have a family that love you deeply that will make sure your needs are getting met. Don't be anxious. I do have to wonder if Jesus is telling us that same thing. He's looking at us filled with anxiety. He's looking at us all filled with worry. 
acting as if we don't have a heavenly father? Acting as if our heavenly father could care less? Acting as if he's got better things to attend to? We have a father that will provide. Our father, this scripture says, knows what we need. He gives grace and he helps. I think one of the ways he gives us grace and helps us is even gatherings like this. We're with other believers and we're just reminded, even through singing and coming to the Lord's table, okay, I have a father that cares for me. Or you may be reading a book or you may listen to a particular song and it just reminds you, this is your father saying, I care for you. I care for you. Or maybe it's a friend that moves into your life. It's a reminder. Sure, it's a friend, but it's more than that. It's your father saying, I know what you need. Or, or maybe you have a counselor that helps you work through some things. Or maybe a medication gives you some sort of relief from some of the, the nitty-gritty pain and stress and fear that you're dealing with. And these are all of God's gifts. Maybe God orchestrates a change in your life and it was just what you need or a move in your life and it was just what you needed. Our father knows exactly what we need and this is what he is not. He is not reluctant to meet the needs of his children. He's not waiting for you to jump through some certain hoop to meet you. I think this is why our Lord says in verse 30, he says to his disciples, oh, you of little faith, I don't think he's rolling his eyes as he says this. I have to wonder if in his heart is just pouring out saying, you're not believing, but you should. You have to. You have to believe this. You have to believe you have a father that's going to take care of the needs. So we go into battle with logic, yes, but also a relationship that secures us. But we also go into battle with a well-known command in verse 33, and that is a pursuit that should focus us. Jesus says, seek first the kingdom of God. Make this your highest priority. I love it. Jesus doesn't just tell us, like, stop doing this. Don't do this. Don't do that. He also says, but this is what you should do. This is what you should focus on. The kingdom of God and his righteousness. Jesus gives us a pursuit to focus us, and this pursuit comes with a promise. What does it mean to seek his kingdom and his righteousness? without just trying to be like circular in my reasoning, I, I don't think it's overcomplicated. I think if you read Matthew 5, Matthew 6, Matthew 7, I think if you read the Sermon on the Mount, you will get the values of Christ's kingdom and his righteousness. You will get it. You, part of seeking the kingdom and his righteousness will be hungering and thirsting for righteousness. Part of it will be being salt and light to this world. Part of this will be doing when Jesus says, I say to you, we will say, yes, Lord, I will do what you say. Part of this will be practicing our righteousness. Part of this will be praying like Jesus taught us to pray, our Father who is in heaven. Part of this will be not laying up treasures on earth, but laying up treasures in heaven. Jesus gives us this basic survival kit. There's a lot more that could be said. This is what I'm quite confident. I don't think there's a 15-year-old. And I don't think there's an 85-year-old that finds what Jesus says here. If you really know Jesus and you really know our Father, I don't think you're going to find his words irrelevant. I don't think you're going to be able to, like, break down Jesus' logic. 
there's nothing that can ever undermine your relationship with you in Christ. There's nothing that's going to tear that apart if you are in Christ. And there is a pursuit that he's given us. I pray this would be a catalyst. What I, what I prayed, Lord, this doesn't need to be more guilt on people that are already filled with stress and anxiety to begin with. So my prayer is that you don't leave here feeling more guilt, more weight on your shoulder. I've also prayed like, Lord, I hope what comes out of this isn't like, well, I'm just going to resolve not to worry anymore. I'm going you know, to tough this out. What I pray is that this would be a catalyst not to rely on ourselves more, but as a catalyst to go to our Heavenly Father. To go to our Heavenly Father with words. And I can point us back even to the Lord's Prayer. To go to our Heavenly Father and say, okay, it's your name that I want hallowed. It's your kingdom I want to come. It's it's your will that I want to be done. So Lord, please, please give me what I need. Give me, give us this day our daily bread. And oh Lord, forgive us because we have failed you and and we could be overcome with worry about failing a, a perfect, perfect God. But show us that we have your forgiveness. Oh Lord, let us not be led into temptation, but deliver us, deliver us from evil. Help us, Lord. You struggle with anxiety and fear and worry and stress, I would imagine at some point all of us do. Let's go to our Father, all right? Let's go to Him. Let's pray. Thank you for the reminder. For the person that feels the stress and fear, maybe in ways they've been dealing with it for a long time, or maybe it's pretty fresh. I help, Lord, help. Relieve. Relieve burdens as we cast them on you. Give us grace and help in our time of need. We're weak in and of ourselves. We cannot manage all these things on our own. So we pray to our Heavenly Father. Thank you for the reminders today. I pray that we would be able to survive our fears and our anxieties through the resources of grace you provided. We ask it in Christ's name. Amen.